All right, guys. Well, it is Elsa Kurt here with you from Blue Family Unity. But more importantly, I have an amazing guest on today. I am so excited. You can't see it, but I'm fidgeting. I'm jumping around because I'm so excited. If you're part of the law enforcement family, this is your show. Here we talk about all things Leo family life. The good, the bad, the funny and the sad, and everything in between. Today we are talking to retired Army Brigadier General Don Bolduck, who served 36 years with 10 deployments and he was part of the infamous horseback campaign in Kandahar riding towards the Taliban after their 9-11 attack on U.S. soil. Um, so as if that isn't enough, he's just uh, he's been called uh, he's been called Captain America by by those who is he is beloved by his troops, his people. And uh, he's had a hell of a career. So uh, enough listening to me talk about how great he is. I want to bring him on. So come on on. And uh, I can't wait to hear all about you and what you've got going on right now, sir. Well, Elsa, thank you so much. It's great to be on the show. And hello to all your listeners. And I, I hope everybody has managed to have a great Thanksgiving with their families and do the best they can this year. It is a tough year, right? Uh, and as we move towards Christmas, yes. but nonetheless, my best to everybody uh, and their families. And I wish them uh, health, happiness, and of course, the blessings of our good Lord, you know? Absolutely. Well, you hit it right on the head. It's been uh, especially hard times, uh, very unusual, unique times, and uh, it's been very disheartening. So uh, the the well wishes for everyone is uh, is well met for sure. Um, and of course, we wish the same for you. I hope you had a nice holiday. That's okay. It's real life. <laughs> okay, good. All right. That's Barra. She's a retired military working dog, a uh, explosive dogs with three tours in Afghanistan. Uh, wow. Retired. We adopted her. Barra, please be quiet, honey. Uh, and she'll <laughs> alert on certain things. I don't know when and where and how, but she does it. Um, so that's all right. She can do whatever she wants, whatever she thank wants. You. We thank we Thanks. thank both of you for your service, uh, your incredible service, really. Um, so speaking of, you have had a hell of a career, which includes law enforcement, but we're going to touch on that later. Um, tell me what led you on this incredible life path, this career path. Uh, did you come from a military or law enforcement family? I came from um, uh, a family of military service uh, being a tradition. Uh, my grandfather and my great-grandfather came down from Canada uh, in 1899 uh, and purchased a farm in Guilford, New Hampshire. The farm became a dairy farm, produce farm, maple syrup farm. Um, I worked on that farm all my life. My grandfather, of course, was too old to serve in World War I, but he had 13 children. And beginning in World War II, his children started to serve. Uh, and then uh, his grandchildren started to serve. He had a requirement that uh, all Baldics will serve the military. 
And if they don't want to serve their military, then they're not welcome at, in, you know, at the farm or what have you. Uh, he was that serious about it. Uh, and so we all knew that we were going to serve. We all knew that we had to do something. Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines didn't matter to him. Didn't matter if it was active duty, reserve, National Guard. As a matter of fact, Baldicks have quite a history and tradition serving here in New Hampshire, uh, in the National Guard, mostly in the field artillery. My young, my middle boy, Zachary, is in the field artillery here uh, in the New Hampshire National Guard. He serves now. His six years will be up in June, um, and he'll be moving on. Um, but uh, the interesting thing is, that's how I got started. That's how my brothers got started. We all made the military a career. Uh, and um, it's because of, you know, my grandfather making it a family tradition as he believed that that was one way the Baldicks could uh, return the great gifts that this country gave um, to to us and, and to many others. And, you know, he not only thought that, but hard work, obviously, farmers uh, work hard uh, and contribute to their community. He was a big public service guy. Um, you know, I learned a lot from him and my dad delivering milk, particularly in tough times for people when there would be empty milk bottles out on the porch. Uh, and we would go to deliver and there'd be a note saying, please don't leave milk this week. And my grandfather would immediately knock on the door and he'd ask why. And he said, well, we can't pay for it. And he said, well, I tell you what, here's your milk. Come up to the farm, do a day's work and you paid for your milk. You know, those type of things. Uh, and he is well known for that. And we hear all the stories um, about the Baldic farm and how it gave sustenance to a lot of people during the, the Great Depression. Um, they may not have had a lot. They may have had hand-me-down clothes. They may have struggled, uh, but one thing that the farm did not lack, that was food. And if people wanted to do a hard day's work, come up there, they would leave with a meal for their families. And that helped um, people get through the Great Depression. And so you learn these things from your family. You become a public service oriented family. You do those things inside your community. Uh, you cherish family values. Uh, you do that under... Uh, you know, belief in God uh, and a commitment to make your country as strong as it can be. And I think uh, those lessons um, have been lost uh, over the last 50 years in many ways. And we have to get back to it. It's why I joined law enforcement at such a young age. I was uh, 18 years old when I when I became a police officer in New Hampshire, uh, Laconia, New Hampshire, my first time um, as a police officer. And it was interesting in that I was still in high school uh, and the uh, chief, Bruce Cheney at the time, you know, took a chance. Uh, yeah, did he take some flack that a high school kid was a certified police officer working uh, shifts, uh, carrying a gun? Yeah, he did. But uh, he had faith in me. Uh, I would like to think I didn't let him down uh, and went into the military thought law enforcement was going to be my career, but ended up the military being my career and going from private to sergeant to lieutenant, and then being able to have the honor to serve as a general officer for my country. Um, then retiring in 2017 and uh, finding myself helping veterans and their families. My wife and I 
uh, doing that together and then turning around and um, teaching for a little bit uh, before I got laid off and then looking for a job, not being able to find a job, found myself applying uh, to a police law enforcement job at Hampton Police Department, did my interviews and my testing and my uh, psychological testing, physical testing, and ended up in the uh, 281st Police Academy um, with uh, me being the oldest guy in the class and uh, 19-year-old being the youngest in the class. So That's incredible. Uh, we had quite a spread of ages, right? Um, Definitely. And it was uh, uh, I have a feeling. I have a few. Yeah, I have a feeling you were you're running circles around those other cadets, though. Something tells me that uh, they were trying to keep up with you in this this second career uh, in policing. That's just my my sneaking suspicion. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I I uh, had the opportunity to serve with these these young men, but we had one guy in particular. He was a uh, NCAA. Uh, national champion runner. And, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we took our PT test, um, he did run circles around us. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, fitness is, you know, I mean, it, you know, it, it's one of those things that it's comprehensive, right? So, you know, right. you got to have physical strength, you got to have the endurance, you got to have the flexibility, you got to have all those things, particularly if you're going to be a police officer, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of those things come into come into play, but um, I tell you, we I can't say enough about the New Hampshire Police Academy. You know, it's one of the few police academies in the country where every police officer in the state gets trained at the police academy, one central location. So everybody mm -hmm. gets trained in the same thing. Then they go off to their departments uh, and they learn, you know, their department policies and they get their field training and they learn how to do everything inside their community that's specific to that. But everything else is centralized, which I think is really uh, an excellent, uh, an excellent program. They got excellent instructors uh, there. They do a really, really good job of uh, producing a, uh, a law enforcement officer. And I got to tell you, I started out with 27 people wanting a job in Hampton and they only hired four. So wow. um, everybody should know that there is that there is a cut line and they don't fool around with that cut line. Uh, and so that I think that's I think that's important for everybody to know that uh, in this time where law enforcement are taking it on the chin for a few bad apples, um, mm -hmm. the standards haven't lowered here in New Hampshire. They're continuously high. The academy produces a, a great guy. It's not a given that you go to the academy and that you finish the academy. Uh, you know, you have to work together as a team. You have to figure it out. And the other thing is you come from all these different police departments all over the state of New Hampshire, all, all 10 counties. You come together and <clears throat> you learn how to get through the course together, how to support each other. Uh, the same thing that you're going to do out on the street, right? You're going to do as a police right. officer. But more importantly, you get to know other police officers across the state uh, and um, that um, networking and familiarity, I think, is hugely important, not unlike what we do in the military. Right. 
Absolutely. So, uh, so, so with everything that is going now on uh, um, in law enforcement and society right now, and the opinions of some people uh, in society, namely some of our politicians, and of course celebrities and activists and all of them, you knew all of this going in, and you still said, "Yep, this is what I want to do again." That's uh, that's pretty amazing. To me, actually, because there's a lot of people now, especially people who've been on the job for a long time and, and are walking away, as I'm sure you well know, that there are across the country, many law enforcement officers, longtime officers are walking away from the job because of the climate that we're in. And um, so I, I actually want to thank you for, for stepping up and stepping in and saying this is exactly the time where men like you and women uh, as well with the same type of integrity and uh, sentiment and love of country uh, are stepping in and saying, we're not letting them take over. We're not going to let them win. And uh, this has been a conversation for quite a while now that, you know, this is kind of what they want. They want you to walk away. They want the good men and women to walk away and, uh, and leave these people vulnerable. So it is so commendable that you made the exact opposite choice. So thank you for that. How does your wife feel about this? I have to ask as a spouse, I have to ask. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know better than anybody since, you know, your husband is in law enforcement and I commend him and I commend you because it's tough for the family as well, because they're inside the community as well. Their children uh, also bear the brunt of this uh, when they go to school and they hear the narratives and they they're out in the community and they hear the narratives and it's extremely unfortunate. Um, you know, uh, we have 535 people that sit in Congress between the two houses, right? And they have the gall to point fingers uh, at anybody's profession, right? Uh, they need right. to look in the mirror first. And this is where the narrative, the bad narrative starts. This is where it got solidified and it got solidified on the political side from, you know, the president on down. And it's continued to be something that's emphasized over and over and over again. And it's just absolutely a false narrative. And we all know it. And you're absolutely right. What they want is they want good people to walk away. They want good people to walk away from public service. They want them to walk away from their communities. They want them to walk away from their families. They want them to walk away from God because they want to control us. And they want to control us in a very negative way. And we cannot allow that to happen. And so mm -hmm. I looked at my wife and I said, "Hun, I can't get a job anywhere. Right. Um, I've been shut out of academia because of my political uh, position and beliefs. I've been told by people in academia that I am a political liability. Um, and and uh, when you look at my performance at New England College as associate professor, um, I was a very popular professor. I never brought my politics to school um, and uh, I did my best to teach. Uh, our students, um, <clears throat> not, uh, you know, teach them, educate them, not, not put them through indoctrination or ideology or anything like that. And my evaluations bear out that I was, you know, a very effective professor, but that doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's your, you know, I may be a conservative, but I'm a pragmatic and practical one, right? That's why I, I appeal to a lot of people. It's called common sense and critical thinking. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at my wife and I said, "Hun, I can't get a job. Maybe law enforcement will take a chance on me. So I applied and 
she thought I was crazy. She goes, are you crazy? She goes, I worried about you enough while you were, you know, in the military deploying everywhere. Now I got to worry about you when you go out on the street. And I'm like, well, you know, um, you know me. I mean, that's right. that's kind of where I derive my energy and my purpose. And so I did it honestly expecting nobody to take a chance in me. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and they and they did, you know, um, you know, I was. Uh, uh, I guess not your, you know, traditional applicant, right? Um, right. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, um, uh, yeah, she thought I was crazy. She thought I was crazy <laughs> going to the academy, uh, you know, and doing all those things. Um, uh, but um, she supported me 100%, which mm-hmm. is which is the difference, right? We can... Right. You know, she might have thought I was crazy, but a lot of people think I'm crazy. So it's okay. Um, that's okay. That's okay. But, you know, when I, when people think that I'm crazy, I just say, Hey, listen, I've, you know, I, I passed my psychological testing, uh, <laughs> with flying colors. So there I'm crazy go. in a, in a good kind of way. Right. That's um, right. That's the right kind of crazy to be for sure. Yeah. When that's you're right. On the right. There's a good crazy thing. and a bad crazy, right? Absolutely. Um, bad, bad, crazy. You're doing wrong things and good crazy. That's is, right. You're doing great things. So it's, it, that right. is the and, most acceptable kind of crazy you could ever be for sure. <laughs> and I, and you know, and I say to people that call me crazy or, you know, a little insane, I don't even know where that comes from, but they like to call me that as well. Listen, I served 33 and a half years on active duty, a total of 36 years in service. Um, I got 81 months in combat. I always ran to the sound of the gun. I survived a 2,000 pound bomb explosion. I've had both my hips replaced, three discs in my necks replaced. I have been in numerous firefights, helicopter crashes in combat. Uh, and yet I still go back over and over and over again. And I would go back tomorrow if my country called me to go back. Um, and so, uh, yeah, at 59 years old, uh, you know, people may think I am a little crazy for going to the police academy. Um, but what I found was that we need more people that are willing to do what your husband does, what you've been doing your entire life, and that is service to our community to make our country stronger. And this is one of the ways you do it. You can do it in a whole bunch of ways, but let's do it with the idea in mind that we want to help people, not hurt people. And that not everybody is going to be perfect. Not every profession is perfect. So we shouldn't paint an entire profession with a few bad apples, right? And we shouldn't politicize public service. We should honor public service and hold those accountable that fall short of their responsibilities and leave it at that. But that's not what we want to do. And it's unfortunate. And, you know, men like your husband and, uh, you know, thousands across the country that service in the law enforcement profession um, <clears throat> are negatively affected and they're voting with their feet. Here in New Hampshire, we had, oh, I think over now over, you know, 200 officers who have chose to leave law enforcement either early or retire when they didn't have to. We have 4,000 law enforcement officers here in the state of New Hampshire on any given Sunday, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, we can't afford to lose them 
because they don't feel that they're getting the support they need, that their family is being negatively affected, that their children are being negatively affected. And in some cases they move and we don't want people like that to move. They are strong pillars of their community. We want them to stay in the community. And it's really unfortunate. It's sad actually. Yeah, it's uh, it's very hard to watch, and I'm sure you can imagine it's exactly why I started doing what I'm doing, which is you know simply advocating for our law enforcement family, our first responders, um, for all the reasons that you just said. You know, there was a, a time early on when all of this was really kicking in, and uh, my husband, along with many law enforcement um, officers, were telling their spouses and their families to remove the thin line decals from their cars, not wear any anything identifying ourselves as um, police families and uh, because of uh, people, you know, wanting to bring harm to us just simply for supporting them, not only bring harm to them, but bring harm to us simply for supporting them. And um, I'm not good at being quiet at all. So the more somebody tells me to be quiet, not to say anything, the the louder I have to be. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's where all of this was born that, you know, I can't sit idly by while, while our heroes, uh, our, our men and women in uniform are going out there every single day, uh, willing and doing the job of protecting others from, from the evil that's out there. And I'm going to be quiet and not support them. Absolutely not going to happen. <laughs> I love what you just said. I love what you just said, because we were told the same thing. Um, uh, We were told, hey, you know, take all your take all your stickers off your car. Don't highlight yourself as a law enforcement officer anywhere. Um, You know, it's just um, you're just going to make yourself a target and so on and so forth. And and I understand completely where that's coming from. And I know people want to protect their families. Uh, and so on. But that's what they want to do with every symbol in our nation, right. whether it's yeah. God, whether it's family, whether it is mm-hmm. public service. Uh, I grew up in the military uh, going to college in Massachusetts when I was in ROTC where we couldn't wear our uniforms on campus because people would throw rocks at you and do these things. And you know what I did? I traipsed right through campus with my uniform on. I didn't really care. Throw a rock at me. And I'm coming at you, right? I've been in rock mm-hmm. fights before. Hey, I'm from I'm from Laconia. <laughs> I have apple fights, crab apple fights, rock <laughs> fights. We've done it all. Snowball fights. Hey, you know, um, you want to throw I a love rock it. at this me? Is a- Get ready. <laughs> this you is know? about the third so- time, I think. This is probably about the third time where I've wanted to just stand up and applaud you. And I have a feeling my producer would, would absolutely kill me if I did that right now. There's no standing <laughs> allowed here. But just now in my head, I am I am applauding you very loudly and aggressively right now. <laughs> well, you made uh, so a great this- point because they want to hide us. They, they want to put us away. Right. They want to they want to shame us because we believe in something that is actually good and helpful for our communities. And I don't want anyone to get hurt, and I certainly don't advocate for families to get targeted, but no family should be targeted. It's the exact opposite of what our our country stands for, freedom. We're afraid to voice our opinion because Mm -hmm. we're going to lose our job. Someone's going to terrorize our family. They're Mm -hmm. going to vandalize my home, vandalize my car, um, and they're going to call me names, right, Uh, and bad names, things that don't even Mm – Things that don't even apply to uh, people. Right. Uh, right. And it's just wrong. So I applaud you 
for what you're doing. And 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 I will clap and your producer isn't gonna say anything to me because what you're doing dare. is is necessary, necessary, it is necessary. Um, it to deliver is. that this message. And it comes from you, it's hugely powerful. Hugely powerful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's just let's just spend the, the rest of our, our time together just thanking each other. I think that <laughs> Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. It'll be fun. Juan won't mind at all, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, um, but um, but but seriously, you know, I'll, I'll, well, not even kidding. It's we're not kidding. We're just having fun with it. But um, you have done a, a lot here in the way of law enforcement, of course, in the way of military, um, it, all in the name of service and putting others and your country before yourself, which is so honorable and so needed. Um, you have decided not only to enter the world of law enforcement again, you have also decided to take on the this whole uh, crazy dynamics here that's going on in our country. Um, and you you are fighting on a political level as well. Can we talk a little bit about that? You are you are uh, a man that is on the move to make some serious change here, and you're going after these guys politically now. So tell us a little about that. Yes. Yeah, so I am a uh, declared candidate for the United States Senate, running against uh, Senator Hassan, um, and uh, you know I'm doing it because. Uh, simple platform of God, family, community, country. Uh, I believe in economic prosperity, fiscal responsibility, and I certainly believe in um, uh, safety and security of Americans, both here and abroad. Uh, and I think that we see that uh, the policies of the current administration and supported by Senator Hassan um, are leading this country in the wrong direction. Uh, lack of effective leadership, um, economic uh, decisions that are creating inflation and hardships on our families, uh, fiscal irresponsibility that's putting in jeopardy the future of our children and our, and, and our grandchildren, which is a huge consideration uh, and concern of mine. And then just look at what we're doing with these open borders and uh, the, the lack of focus on law and order. Uh, support for our, our first responders, uh, support for uh, our parents uh, and what they uh, stand for and what and how they need to be involved in the education of their children, uh, not excluded uh, from that. And then, of course, this huge cancel culture uh, that that calls people names and, and excludes people from giving their opinion. Uh, and characterize them as, as bad. You know, one of the things that I point out on the campaign trail is I will go to a veteran event and I will be surrounded by all these, you know, elected officials, uh, whether it's Governor Sununu or Maggie Hassan or, or, uh, or Representative Pappas and all these folks. Um, and, uh, I'm a hero in that venue. And then, uh, two days later, I'm in a political venue and, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm terrible, right? I'm a fascist and I'm this and I'm that. And, and how can I be both? Uh, I'm not both. Right. I'm, I'm one right. and I am the former, not the latter. And I've proven that in my actions, right? So I believe that we need grassroots, uh, 
people in Congress that are public servants and that are going to serve the people and not look for it to be the other way around where the people serve them. And that's what we have now. I believe career politicians, this very divisive political party system that we have uh, is broken. Uh, and we have to do something about it. And the only way to do something about it is to put people down there that understand public service, that have given a lifetime to public service, that are willing to give their life to serve you and to ensure that our values and principles and our great constitutional republic uh, remain uh, the strongest because we are the light. We are the beacon for the world. And yeah. I heard it time and time again on active duty everywhere I went, over three quarters of the countries in the world. Uh, and they're afraid now. They're worried now. This fear and uncertainty and control that's being uh, forced upon us, this reversal of government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Instead, it's government control. This is dangerous for America, and we need different people there that are willing to go down there and fight against this. And and it is, it is a fight, and we can see it across this country. So I'm doing it, um, and I realize that I'm doing it, and I'm a political outsider, and I don't have a big political machine behind me, and that my narrative doesn't fit well either in the Republican side of things or the Democrat side of things because I'm for the people, not for the establishment. And if the establishment is wrong, as you know, on the Democrat side, I'll call it out. If it's wrong on the Republican side, I'll call it out, which I've done. It's not popular, but it's necessary because you have to show that you're willing to go down and serve the people. Um, and their biggest complaint is, oh, okay. You say this, they all say this, and then you go down there and you do the exact opposite. Well, not Don Baldwin. I will not do the exact opposite because I'm not campaigning that way. And I'm taking my chances and I'm taking my shots from both sides of the aisle. And it's okay because I'm staying true to my values, my principles, which are consistent with this country's values and principles. And that's what we should be defaulting to all the time. So that's where Absolutely. I stand on, on all these. Well, I think you um, you stand for and obviously stand with the majority of the American people, because I think that, you know, because the the negative um, side of things is much more vocal, because let's face it, moderate Americans, they just want to live their lives. They just want to go to work, take care of their families, take care of their children and just get about, you know, the business of life. And they see what's going on. Um, but they're, they're too busy. They're too tired. They're too uncertain to do anything about it. So you are truly, I, I really think representing and speaking for our average American, which is truly, in my opinion, the actual majority. And, uh, this is exactly what we need. We don't want career politicians. We are done with them. And I, and I think even people on, on both sides can say that that they're sick of career politicians who have made, you know, millions off of uh, taxpayers and they're, they're living well, well above their means or what their means should be. Um, and we're tired of it. So someone like you who is doing what you're doing and running on, on such a, you know, purely true American standard of beliefs and values um, is 
what we are starving for. So thank you. You, uh, you, you have a fan right here for sure. And, and I think your, your following is just going to get bigger and bigger because of your platform. And, uh, because, uh, you know, it's very clear that you are exactly who you say you are. And, uh, that is honorable and admirable. So thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I often say, um, you know, I've taken two oaths in my life. One, well, now three. I've taken three oaths in my life. One to my country, right? As a military service member and a veteran. And that one is never, never goes away. I've taken an oath to my wife, uh, when we got married 33 years ago. And I've taken an oath now to law enforcement. Uh, and that, that oath is to the constitution of this state and to our U.S. constitution, because that's the oath that I had to take. Uh, and I've not violated any of them and I will not violate any of them. And so that character and integrity that is needed in Washington, D.C., so that you're not influenced, you're not swayed by special interests, you're not swayed by the big money, you're not swayed by the lobbyists, is a big threat to the status quo on both sides. Because whether it's a Democrat or a Republican sitting in a seat in Washington, D.C., the first thing they agree to do is protect career politicians and to protect uh, that system that gives them their benefits. Uh, and I won't protect that because I don't agree with that. I think it's counter to public service. I think it's counter to what we should be doing. We should not have to pay for a public servant that spends 12 years in the United States Senate or the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives uh, at 100% of their you know, retirement salary. I spent 33 and a half years and only get 60% of mine, right? Uh, right? And they spend 12 years and get 100%. That's the whole idea is to get elected, right? Six times right. as a rep and twice as a as a uh, U.S. senator so we can retire at 100% of medical benefits and pay and all this other great stuff uh, that they're given and access to uh, the Senate floor or the House floor for the rest of their lives, go to work for lobbyists and continue to make millions and millions of dollars that they made while they, that's all wrong. That's not what right. we're there for. We yeah. are there to serve and look at, look, look at what's gone wrong. Uh, and mm -hmm. we just need different people down there with a different idea. The idea that our founding fathers had about public service and about, um, you know, political, uh, you know, serving in, in, you know, as elected officials. And they didn't envision it turning into a career. Uh, and particularly one where you vote for your own benefits, you vote for your own pay, you vote for your own hospital, your own gym. Uh, you know, who does that? I would I'd love right. to be able to, uh, you know, set my pay. Yeah, could you imagine? For, right? How nice would that? How, Can you imagine how nice that? that must be? <laughs> no, I definitely I cannot even that? imagine. Right. They're overpaid yeah. and our law enforcement are underpaid. It makes absolutely right. no sense to me, right? None whatsoever. Uh, it's, it's goofy. Uh and they don't like when people point it out. Uh and I'm pointing Very it out true. along with everything that's wrong with our approach on COVID, our approach on spending money our approach on the border, our approach on uh, mental health, our approach on the mm -hmm. opioid crisis, all of it gone wrong. The solution isn't to throw money at it. Right. It doesn't work. So No, absolutely um, not. I am 
honored to have this opportunity. Not my idea. I didn't wake up one day and go, boy, I think I'll be a United States Senator, or I think I'll run for United mm-hmm. States Senate. You know, mm-hmm. uh, last last time I was recruited by the establishment. Uh, this time I was recruited by the people of New Hampshire. And uh, I learned a lot last election. Mm-hmm. I learned that you can't trust the establishment, that they'll tell you right. one thing and they'll do another. I learned mm-hmm. a lot of lessons. I was a bit naive, not naive. I knew better, but I played inside the system that they described right. I should play in. And I was going to say, I'm wrong. guessing you played fair and they it didn't. <laughs> I played yeah. fair. I stayed mm-hmm. true to my word. They did not. Right. And now I'm running as Don Baldick, the grassroots campaign political outsider who's going to go down to Washington, D.C. and do the right thing for you and not for the establishment. I don't care what side of the aisle it's on. And that's what we need. And I hope yes. people are receptive to that message. Use me to do that. Mm-hmm. I've lost my job because of it. I've gotten into a great career path because of it, because God closes a door and then he opens one. Right. And Absolutely. so, boom, here I am. Happy to be a law enforcement officer, proud to be a law mm-hmm. enforcement officer and um, and uh, realizing that I'm a newbie at it and that I'm going to go out on patrol, work my butt off, be part of a team uh, and, uh, you know, do the right thing by my community. Awesome. And you've also been, because uh, I did my homework, I did my research on you, and uh, you have also been a vocal advocate for mental health for law enforcement as well. You have been uh, very vocal uh, about PTSD and uh, the suicide, the high, high suicide rate amongst law enforcement, or first responders, I should say, because it, it encompasses uh, our firefighters and EMS and, and all of them as well, of course. Um, and I'm very excited excited to learn that that is, I believe, going to be part of your platform as well to advocate for first responders in that regard. And um, can you talk a little bit about, um, is there going to be, do you have any type of like legislation or anything in mind for that or just kind of improving upon what what there is? No. Uh, well, first and foremost, we need national dialogue on uh, what post-traumatic stress is, what traumatic brain injury is, and and how that's influenced and how people um you know have to deal with it and why our society is not dealing with it effectively uh and i want to lead that national dialogue as a u.s senator and as a u.s senator i can lead that national dialogue and you're right my wife and i have been doing a lot not only to help service members but also to help civilians who have traumatic uh experiences uh because it's all it's all the same right uh, and and our law enforcement officers. I speak at uh, police departments, fire departments, you know, across the state. Uh, the one I just spoke at was uh, Salem Police Department, Salem, New Hampshire. Before that, it was Manchester, Manchester being uh, our largest uh, police department here in the state of New Hampshire and uh, the highest crime rate um, in the state. Uh, and, uh, you know, people with post-traumatic stress, are highly functioning people, but our society doesn't understand that, right? They see this mental injury as something that's even worse, right? Oh, it it precludes them from being able to participate. That's not the case at all. Um, And that's what the Republicans did to me last election. Not the Democrats, but the Republicans, and they're doing it again. 
They're saying that wow. somehow, because I have post-traumatic stress and TBI, that I can't serve as a United States Senator. They're saying because I have a service dog, right, mm-hmm. that I can't be, um, that I can't be a, an effective senator or an effective member of our community. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, so they point fingers, call your names, and they do this to everybody. And so people don't mm-hmm. get the treatment that they need. And when you don't get the treatment, bad things happen in your personal and professional life, right? Mm-hmm. It's like anything right, that you do. Life is a contact sport. There's going to be trauma mm-hmm. and you need to know how right. to deal with it. Uh, and so I have Victor. Yes, because I earned Victor. Right. I earned him uh, mm-hmm. because of my post-traumatic stress from 81 months in combat and uh, helicopter crashes and bomb explosions that gave me traumatic brain injury. But hell, I'm a very highly functioning person. But you know why I really have Victor? To give other people, other people in our society, whether they're veterans or not, the strength to go get a medical service dog to save their lives because these dogs save people's lives. And yes, it's a visible sign that something's wrong. You know what people say to me? I mean, they, they look at me and they go, what's the dog for? Right. And then I explain to them, you know, what Victor does. And mm-hmm. they're looking at me like, I, you know, there's something wrong with me. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I got some sort of, trans you know communicable disease um and and you know they just give you that look right and it's because they don't understand and i bet you they are probably someone who probably needs treatment Mm -hmm. who needs some help right but they're not going to get it because they live in this bubble where oh you're weak oh you can't handle it you know and that's Mm -hmm. not the case at all you know no, it's uh, the exact opposite, actually. It's right? The it's the exact, exact opposite. opposite. Yes. It's, this is it called is handling it. This opposite. is called addressing it and and working through it. And you know, mm-hmm. and it also gets me, and it must it must really get to you as well. The the irony of the hypocrisy of these very same people who will say those types of things to or treat you or anyone uh, with a service animal or, or with a, a known TBI or um, PTSD or any of these go- things going mm-hmm. on, um, they'll use it to their advantage and then they'll discard it when it doesn't benefit them. You know, they're, they're big, uh, yeah. platform, their big discussion about, uh, you know, removing the stigma of mental health, but they're the very same people that will try and stigmatize you for it because you don't exactly their agenda or their narrative. So yeah, exactly. the, um, when they want the a fundraiser, right. When they want mm-hmm. a fundraiser, Oh, I'm yeah. the guy, I'm the guy. Right. Right? right. And although I know how they really feel about me, mm-hmm. I still go help them because that's who sure. I am. Right. Right. I know exactly where they're coming from, really, mm-hmm. how they feel about me. But, right. hey, you want to do a fundraiser that's going to help veterans or going to help people uh, for mental health? I'm there. I don't care mm-hmm. what you think about me or what you've said about me, because I know what you think about me. Um, right. You know, people talk, it gets around, but mm-hmm. I'm not intimidated by that. How do you expect right. me to get down to Washington, D.C. and take on that mess? If I'm afraid of a couple people or, or people that are going to call me names or going to try and prevent me from doing something because they've defined me in a certain way, not going to happen, not going to happen. 
That's what I'm talking about. That's right. Now I'm, I'm keeping a tally. That's like number six that I'm standing up and clapping in my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. All right. No, oh, please. Thank you. Uh, all right. So I have, I have one more, uh, big, maybe odd question. I, mean, I don't think it's going to be an odd question for you, but, you know, n- knowing elements of your story as I do now, um, and I'm an author. So as a writer, the thing that is going through my head oh, almost on repeat from the minute um, I-, I learned of you was, where's the book? We need a book mm-hmm. from you. We need your life. We need the book. Ha- have you been, uh, have you, has that ever been a consideration to, to write a book about your, your story, your life story? Because, uh, it's so incredible. There must be. Mm-hmm. Tell me there is. <laughs> well, I have been asked by a number of people to write a book and I get asked probably every other week by my wife to write a book. And, <clears throat> I know it's a, that's a, you know, that's a huge undertaking, huge endeavor. And I am not, um, I need to help. Right. So if, if I'm going to write a book, I'm going to need someone to help me, uh, write that book. And I just haven't found that person yet that, um, you know, is going to be able to help me write this book because, um, I just don't feel that, you know, I mean, I'm uh, sharing. There's plenty of books out there. I say to my wife, "There's plenty of books out there. People write books all the time about this stuff." They need another one from Don Baldick for, um, and so I'm hesitant to do it. Uh, you know, because of the fact there's a lot of books out there, and I just don't have opinion of myself that my book is going to make that much of a difference. Um, and um, and I'm not a book writer, so. Uh, hey, if there's anyone out there that is a book writer and they want to sit down with me and they think that maybe I got something to say, um, I'm glad to uh, I'm glad to do that. But um, it's like I told my wife, if you think I'm going to sit down like Hemingway and start typing, <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> Just not going to happen. But I get asked I- that question a lot. So thank you for asking it. It means a lot. Oh, you're you're welcome. I, I already know for for an absolute my, fact, my husband will be probably one of the first ones to read your book should you decide to do it. And um, <laughs> I and I feel like your wife and I need to have a little sit down. So maybe we'll have to get her number so her and I can have a chat. Uh, us wives Absolutely. are very persuasive in our ways. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think I think the two of you, you know, uh, your wife as well, because she is obviously uh, a warrior in her own lane, uh, standing right beside you as you've navigated this uh, this incredible path that you've been on. Um, so, boy, oh boy, I, I think I think you would be quite surprised at how many people would want to read your story. So, I, I do hope you give it uh, some serious you know, consideration. Um, I, you say that, and I I have to tell you that. Um, and this isn't, this isn't trite. This isn't something that, you know, I just say because it's expected, but she is the backbone of our family and she is the person that has kept our family together. Uh, and, and really the main person behind my, uh, reason for going, uh, for help for PTS and TBI and doing all that. And then having the courage to come out publicly as a general on active duty and then supporting my service members in an environment that wasn't supportive of it. And then doing all these things that I do outside here that, that put a target on my chest. Uh, so uh, without her, I don't know where I would be right now. Uh, and, you know, he truly is. And, and every time I hear the song, every time I play the song, 
Um, you know, it, I get sentimental about it, but she really is that, that wind beneath my wings. Uh, and she is that truly quiet professional behind the scenes mm-hmm. that makes everything happen. And, and so I'm glad that you, you mentioned that because I am very honored, very grateful. And we are a team. She's with me a hundred percent. Everything I do mm-hmm. to include funding for Senate. And I got to tell you, when we're out there on the campaign trail, Mm-hmm. The only reason she's not with me is because she's got to watch our grandchildren mm-hmm. or she's visiting her mother in the hospital. Otherwise, she's right with me. And that is not what you see in other candidates. True. Very, very true. Very true. Well, you know, you you and your family embodies all of the things that um, I personally love about America. You know, no one, no matter what's going on in this country right now with uh, certain aspects of it. Um, I am like you, a true blue patriot. I love this country. Uh, I learned my love of country from my legal immigrant grandparents who love this country so profoundly. Um, I still, to this day, I, you know, I just turned 50. I cannot listen to Neil Diamond's America without crying. I've never listened to it without crying. And it was because my grandfather, my German grandfather, um, he played that song every, every holiday and he would sing poorly right along with it. And he would get choked up and we'd all get choked up. So, uh, I, I was, you know, born to love this country wholeheartedly. And, uh, when I, when I see candidates like you, um, come around. I, I don't think I won't say, I won't go so far as to say you're a rare breed, um, but you have been a rare breed. So more like you will, will make this country, get this country right back on track again. So, um, thank you just, I, and, and I know I've said it before, but I just, I sincerely thank you so much for doing what you do in the face of so much adversity, um, in such a difficult time. So I'm excited to see what you're going to do here. Well, thank you very much. And it's an honor to have had this discussion with you. You're, you're a great interviewer. Uh, and, uh, you're kidding me. You don't look a day over 30. So I don't know where that 50s <laughs> come from. Uh, thank and, you. Thank you. I will uh, slip you some change after for that. <laughs> there you go. And, and, you know, I mean, I will applaud you. I mean, I've smiled several times here in response to a lot of the things you said. And that is my way of applauding. What you do, your dedication, uh, and the voice that you give people that would normally not have a voice. I mean, it's hugely important. So thank you very much, and God bless you. Thank you. Same to you. It's been an honor, and uh, best of luck on the campaign trail for you. We'll be, we'll, we'll be rooting you on for sure. So thank you again. All right. Thank you. for listening to the show we'll see you next time on blue family unity with elsa kurt and remember united we thrive the blue family unity show was created written and produced by elsa kurt music written and produced by dan tracy if you would like to be a guest on the blue family unity show contact blue family unity at gmail.com